From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Eco-friendly products have a problem. Consumers say that they want sustainable products. In fact, surveys show that up to 70% of people are willing to buy them, but only 1% to 5% actually buy them, which is a serious disconnect. So what is the solution? We can just use savvy marketing to convince consumers to go green. This is Ed. Hi, I'm Ed Stafford, and I'm a marketing professor at Utah State University. I've been studying green marketing for over two decades. And here's a fun fact. Usually, before I start recording a podcast, if someone's in a room that's very echoey, I will ask if they can move to a different room, a room with some carpeting, maybe, which absorbs sound so that it doesn't bounce around and give that echoey sound that Ed has uh, in the background. But Ed said... In his case, not possible because... I live in an environmentally responsible house, and we have no carpeting in the house. It's all hardwood floors and and tiles. And if you're wondering, why can't there be carpet in an environmentally friendly home? (laughs) We're on a little bit of a side note here from the marketing that we will get back to in a second. But anyway, uh, I wondered that, and so... Yes, because uh, carpet will trap all sorts of dust and and all sorts of particulate matter and things, and it really can't be cleaned. So the rule of thumb is when you build a a green home, or at least when we did in 2008, was that you had uh, all flooring that could be easily cleaned and vacuumed and, and would not collect particulates. So in short, cleaning carpet is not especially eco-friendly, certainly not compared to the ease of cleaning hardwood floors. And also it collects and then kicks up all this crap, which is bad for your health. So anyway, there you are. As a result, we're going to just have to deal with an echoey Ed, which is okay because what he has to say is so fascinating. Here is the thing to get back to it. A lot of people say they want eco-friendly products. And yet not a lot of them actually buy eco-friendly products. So what are you supposed to do? Well, Ed says, and he's been studying this for decades, the answer is in marketing. A growing body of research says we have it all wrong. Although consumers say they want green products, they don't actually respond well to traditional eco-friendly messages. So if you have something green to sell, you need to think differently about the story you tell. That is what we're going to be talking about today on Problem Solvers. Ed is going to walk us through some really interesting research that he has done and some other research that I happened to find (laughs) on the internet that I was so curious about that I wanted to find an expert to speak to. And that is how I found Ed in the first place. A conversation with Ed Stafford about how to market green products in a way that people will actually buy them coming up on this episode of Problem Solvers. With more and more brands looking for smart solutions to help them meet their sustainability goals, innovative paper-based packaging stands out as an ideal choice. Today, makers of everyday items from cosmetics to liquid detergents are now turning to paper as the preferred packaging material. Beyond product protection and retail shelf appeal, paper-based packaging is highly sustainable because it's made from a renewable resource and is designed to be easily recyclable, something that's good for brands and consumers who want to do their part for the environment. 
And here in the U.S., paper companies work with private forest landowners to grow and maintain forests at a rate nearly double the volume needed to make the paper, packaging, and boxes we rely on every day. So when brands choose paper-based packaging, they're helping to support the growth of our forests. Paper-based packaging is an easy way to do good for the planet. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com innovations. And now our second sponsor. There is a game where no one wins, where no one even wants to be playing the game. And what is this game? It is the waiting game. Waiting is terrible. And when it comes to hiring, do not wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed, because when you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. They streamline hiring with powerful tools that help you find matched candidates. For example, Instant Match, where over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. And in fact, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash problem solvers. Offer good for Hi, a limited time. Claim your $75 credit at now at indeed.com slash problem solvers. Indeed.com slash problem solvers. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back. I'm talking with Ed Stafford of Utah State University about the marketing problem in the eco-friendly product space. And we're going to hit on a whole bunch of different problems and interesting solutions and research. But to start, let's begin where, well, I began just a moment ago, which is this strange gap between what consumers say they want, that they do want eco-friendly products, and what they will actually buy. We have this, what we call the behavioral gap. Consumers will say that, yes, I do want to buy green or I do want to buy socially responsible products. But when we actually see their behavior, we don't actually see them behaving in that way. There's been some studies to suggest that maybe only one to five percent of consumers will actually buy green. And so one of the one of the things that I've been studying for the last 20 plus years is how do we get mainstream consumers to buy the greener products? Evidence of this, I think, is that if you look at the market, there really are no green products that command significant market share in the marketplace. There, there's one exception, and that is LED bulbs. But as you might have read just this past week, there's been a lot of controversy because uh, incandescent bulbs have basically been outlawed because of efficiency standards mandated by the Environmental Protection Agency. And, and also there was a law signed back in 2007 that kind of put these efficiency standards in place. And so what's happened now is incandescent bulbs, you know, you just can't find them anymore. And people don't realize, I know there's culture wars out there saying, oh, I want my incandescent bulb, but they're incredibly energy guzzling. And so really there are benefits of having the LED bulbs to replace them because they're so much more energy efficient. They can last for 10, 15 years. So there's a convenience with them. But other than that, 
not even organic foods really command a significant market share. So, so there is a, you know, there's definitely a gap between what consumers are saying they want and versus what their actual behavior is. Yeah. It's funny with the incandescent bulbs. My suspicion is that nobody actually cares about incandescent bulbs. They just don't like being told that they can't buy incandescent yeah. bulbs. It's yes. just no, absolutely. And that's where I think marketing comes that if we make these products more appealing through marketing, then it doesn't have to be mandated. We can just use savvy marketing to, to convince consumers to go green. And that's the perfect transition into what we're talking about. So I'd like to talk about the research that you've done. But before we get there, I just want to get your reaction to this study that I had found from McKinsey and Nielsen IQ. There were two specific things in there that just really jumped out at me that they had found that more hyper-specific claims, like that a product is vegan, drove more sales than generic claims, like that a product is environmentally sustainable, that exact language. And that also when multiple claims were combined together, they drove more sales than individual claims. Both of these, to me, feel like they're basically making the same point, which is that terminology like environmentally sustainable is so commonplace as to be meaningless or easy to overlook or not trustworthy. Like, you know, you just feel like everyone's slapping that on there. But when it becomes more specific, it grabs your attention more and you contemplate it more. Am I drawing the right conclusion there? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think a couple of things are going on here. For example, you know, when it says that if it says it's vegan or if it's climate or carbon neutral, I think consumers now are becoming more knowledgeable about these issues. And so if you say something is environmentally sustainable, it's kind of vague. And so if you can be hyper specific about what your product has that makes it more environmentally responsible, that's going to give it the authenticity that people are looking for. Of course, there is a potential danger. And, and one of the things that we've seen in some of my past research is that if you say something is green, that might actually turn consumers off. And sometimes consumers are concerned oh. that maybe the quality might not be there. Um, you know, there was a Wall Street Journal article just uh, earlier this summer about all birds. And one of the challenges that Allbirds has is that, well, I shouldn't say a challenge. I mean, one of the noble things is that they try to be a green athletic shoe, but they use this thing called vegan leather that just wasn't durable enough. And according to the Wall Street Journal, some, uh, some athletes within six months were getting holes in their shoes. And they said that, you know, they, they want to be green, but if the shoe doesn't perform like regular leather or rubber, they weren't going to use those particular products anymore. And so I think that's something that you have to be very careful with is that you want to make sure that you are green, but it also performs as well as kind of the non-green products that are out there. And I suppose that's actually a good tee up for your research, because as I was reading the study you'd sent me, a thing that really jumped out at me. Well, actually, before, before I, because I'd rather have you set up this research than me, the research that you sent me is oriented around solving this problem that we've been talking about, this gap between what consumers say they're interested in and what they're actually purchasing. And an advice, or the, the advice that you orient this around is that companies have to do a better job of turning towards the consumer. Can you explain that? Yeah. And I think one of the big challenges that you have is that there are many barriers that kind of prevent consumers from going green. And I think what we're seeing now is that 
businesses get it. They're trying to go green and they're getting their supply chains greener. They're working to create better, more environmentally effective products. But consumers are leery of them. And and there's a number of reasons. For example, performance. Are the products going to perform as well? Some of them can center on just being more expensive. Why why go green if it's going to cost me too much? And, And sometimes green products are just inconvenient. In fact, what we find really in consumer behavior are two things, convenience and price really are what determine people's ultimate purchasing of specific products. And so that means then we need to make green products to be more affordable. We need to make green products more convenient. And of course, we need to make sure that they perform effectively. And so that's, I think, really important. And, and there's a lot of reasons why businesses want to go green. Um, so, for example, if I can get you to get your bank statements online uh, as a bank, I can save money and not have to print up all these statements, mail them, all those types of things. If I can get you to use your towels again at a, in the hotel or to not have your bed sheets changed every, you know, that saves businesses money. So, so there are incentives for businesses to want to get their consumers to go green. And I know there was a, uh, we actually put in that uh, report that uh, there's some research to suggest that how consumers use or misuse products actually determines the carbon footprint for a lot of these companies. So companies that are, that are trying to reduce their carbon footprint, they find that it's the consumer's that are the the problem in terms of not being able to be controlling that particular aspect of the consumption process. Yeah, so that makes me think of this thing here. So it's, um, I'm just going to read a bit from your study. You wrote, principle number one, promote the consumer value of green products. Now, I think some people might hear that and think, oh, so, you know, another thing about how, well, this is how much carbon we're, we're not emitting into that. But no, no, no. What you read out here are the consumer appeal of green. Number one, money savings. Number two, health and safety. Number three, performance. Number four, status. Number five, convenience. And number six, bundling, where consumer value is added to green products. In other words, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm reading here is consumers may say they want green products and, and they do, but what they're actually going to prioritize is, is this a good product? And so the first thing that you need to do really is make sure that you are communicating that, communicating the value of it. And to the degree that you're talking to them about green products, particularly if you're thinking about like the kind of all birds example, the way that some consumers might think that green products, great as they are, are also inferior and therefore maybe not the thing that they actually want to buy, that you have to also start to address and overcome the trust gap where someone says, oh, this is green, maybe it's not as good. So you have to be building in this marketing that's really about performance and money savings and the kind of just meat and potato things that consumers care about. Is that right? Absolutely. You're absolutely right. So back in 2006, we published an article called Green Marketing Myopia. And what we found was, and again, this is 15, several years ago, what we found was that a lot of companies were so focused on the greenness of the product that they were kind of overlooking the fundamentals of marketing. And that is, what do consumers want? And what consumers want are products that are going to meet their needs. I don't buy light bulbs to save the planet. I buy light bulbs to illuminate my room. And so, right. uh, so, so this becomes a really kind of an important thing. In fact, in just the light bulb issue, let me just go back to uh, Philips. To their credit, yeah. back in the early 90s, they came out with this light bulb called the Earth Light. And uh, they were extremely proud of it because it was a super energy efficient bulb. And they found that consumers just weren't 
connecting with it. And, and so to their credit, they did some research amongst their consumers and they found that consumers saw that environmental responsibility was like number four or five on their list of why they buy light bulbs. But number one was convenience. You know, one of the big problems is you have high ceilings and you got to put light bulbs in. And if you got to change them every year, that's a real hassle. So it turns out that these earth lights, which were compact fluorescents, again, this is back in the early 90s, before LEDs became more popular, mm -hmm. they found that if they could leverage the convenience of compact fluorescence, that compact fluorescence can last five years or more, that was what was really going to impact consumers. And so they changed the name from Earthlight to Marathon. And just the name Marathon <laughs> seemed to suggest that, hey, this was going to last a long time. So, you know, for me, this is a really important case of an example of how a product was dying because of green marketing myopia. They were so myopically focused on the greenness of the product that they didn't realize that, hey, what consumers really wanted was a bulb that lasts a long time. And, and what's nice about LED bulbs is that they last even longer and, they're, and they are even more energy savings. And so I think LED bulbs in the long run are going to be a big success. But, you know, until we get over some of the culture wars about, oh, you know, give me back my incandescent bulb until we overcome that, I think people are going to find that the LED bulbs are seriously much better. And I have LED bulbs in my house and I, I love them. I think they're amazing. I will die before I have to change some of those bulbs. I mean, that's how long they're going to last. <laughs> <laughs> Which, when you first started saying that, it sounded it sounded like uh, you were just kind of putting your life on the line to make a point. But no, what you mean is that the lifespan of these bulbs is literally yeah. longer than your remaining life expectancy. Yes, it's amazing. Some of these bulbs are expected to last twenty or thirty years. I mean, it's amazing. And and since we don't use them every day, they'll, they'll yeah. just sit. They're, they're like faucets, or, you know, in your house. They're, they're something that's going to last for decades, literally. Right. Ed, if you're thinking about an entrepreneur with a, you know, smaller, medium-sized business producing something that is sustainably minded and they want to improve their chances as best they can of convincing consumers to buy this because it's a good product, also because it's environmentally mindful, what else should they be doing in their marketing aside from the things that we've pointed out here, which is, you know, the, the kind of hyper specificity of the language, prioritizing communications about the kind of regular consumer value over just the eco value? What, what else uh, might they over be overlooking? Yeah, no, and I think that, you know, in order to be authentic, you know, you definitely want to make sure that whatever claims that you're making you want to make sure that you have the data to back it up. And that may mean that you're going to have to uh, have a website that's going to actually go in detail about how your product or your packaging is more sustainable or it's more recyclable, those types of things. What we have found in, in marketing of, of green products is that normally the greenness is almost kind of secondary. You know, you need to definitely have a, a, a product that's going to capture the hearts of your, you know, your customers in terms of performing adequately. And then the greenness becomes secondary. And, and, you know, maybe an example of this would be Tesla. What was interesting about Elon Musk and the, the early marketing of uh, Tesla and their cars was that he didn't focus on the greenness of the product. You know, you look at some other electric vehicles from 10, 15 years ago, many of them kind of look like some kind of 
junior high experiment or some kind of golf cart or something. But what Elon Musk did was, is that his Model S in particular, uh, he made it into a muscle car and they focused on speed and performance. And the very first people to adopt Teslas, or at least to kind of explore them, were speedsters, people who were interested in speed. And so the greenness of the product really was kind of secondary. But the idea that these electric vehicles were fast and that you had race car enthusiasts driving them and and putting up YouTube videos showing that they could go faster than similar muscle cars on the marketplace, that's what really gave the authenticity of the product. And then it was easy then for other people to say, yeah, I'm going to buy the Tesla simply because it's a performance vehicle. It's not just an experiment or, or some kind of car that, you know, that Will Ferrell would make fun of in one of his movies kind of thing. And, and so <laughs> this, I think, is really important is that you need to kind of focus on what makes your product authentic. So if you're going to come out with some kind of organic food, that's wonderful, but make sure it's really wonderful tasting and that it is uh, special in some way. And so I think that's going to be more important. And then the environmental aspect will be kind of secondary. And and the reason why this is important is that, you know, if you're going to come out with a green product, you don't want just one to 5% of the people adopting it. You want to get that other 95 to 99% of the customers to buy that product, because if it's going to have impact, you got to get everybody on board. And so that means you do have to kind of, you know, focus on those mainstream values. And so, you know, if you're promoting a a non-toxic carpet cleaner, you know, it's better to frame it as pet friendly or baby friendly, because now what you're going to get is you're going to get every parent on board or every pet lover on board to buy that particular carpet cleaner. And then people start to make the connection that, oh, boy, you know, you're right. A lot of carpet cleaners have a lot of toxic chemicals in them. And my baby is crawling on that floor and, and my dog is is sleeping on that floor. And so you know, framing it in a way that's going to capture the hearts of those customers is going to be mainstream customers is really going to be important. One other thing I wanted to ask you about picking up on mainstream there was another principle that you laid out, which I thought was really interesting, was that companies with green products should leverage mainstream social media influencers. You know, that's funny because a way you could imagine that sustainable brands pursue their consumers would be to go through channels that are reaching consumers that are sustainably minded. And there's no shortage of that. You can find all the websites and all the influencers in the world that you want that are really seeped in that culture. And you would think, well, that's good because then you're going to reach the people who really care about this. They're a self-selecting group of people. But I suppose the problem with that is that, number one, it's a smaller group of people. And number two, your sustainability claims don't sound very special when you're in an environment where that is the baseline for being involved. So can you talk to me a little bit more about what you found and why sustainable brands should really be thinking about mainstream ecosystems and mainstream social media influencers? Absolutely. And so, and I think you hit the nail right on the head is that what happens is, is that, you know, if you're going to be focusing on sustainability oriented influencers, their target audience or or their followers um, are basically going to be people who are already into sustainability. And so uh, what I think is more compelling is that when you have kind of these non-sustainable or non-sustainably oriented influencers, and then they suddenly do talk about sustainability, they're potentially going to reach a broader audience. 
I just want to bring up kind of interesting, after we published our study, Unilever actually came out with a study this year that found that 78% of people say that influencers have the biggest impact on their sustainable behaviors. And so it's interesting that here's Unilever who is looking at, you know, trying to bring in more sustainable products. They say 78% of of consumers uh, say that influencers have the biggest impact. And and what we think is, is that uh, from a marketing perspective, this is kind of social proof. Uh, What social proof means is that, you know, if other people are doing it, I feel I should do it. And so there's that kind of social pressure that we tend to take cues of what other people are doing and we want to mimic them. And so social media influencers are basically a reference group and people look to them in terms of fitness and health and makeup and food and, and all the different things that they promote. And so if those social media influencers are promoting this, And they're not your green ones. They're just your kind of mainstream social media influencers. Then that becomes much more credible and a a more authentic message that consumers uh, are more likely to adopt. And if you could zoom out for a final thought, as entrepreneurs think about sustainability, bringing sustainable products to the marketplace, and they think about the marketing that they should be doing, we've talked very tactically for the last 25 minutes about what they should be doing. But philosophically... I guess what, what's what's the lasting impression or lasting message that you think they should have as they try to take their products out into the world? I think one of the hottest issues right now in marketing is the whole notion of storytelling. And so I think what entrepreneurs need to develop in terms of developing their product is they also want to have a story as to what are the values that your company adheres to. And, you know, consumers increasingly are buying on their values. And so if you can come up with a compelling story that is going to capture people emotionally. So, you know, you think about it, why do we buy products? Uh, Very often it's the emotions that are behind it. You know, you think about Coca-Cola or Tesla or Beyonce or, you know, any of those cool brands that are out there that we, that, that we're, that we gravitate to. It's because they've got a compelling story and values that we want to buy into, that we want to hold on to. And so I think what really is important for entrepreneurs, if you're coming up with a sustainable product, make sure that you've got some story behind it that people can think about, understand the values, and that they will even share that story with others. The example that I have in that article there is the Don't Mess With Texas campaign and A lot of people don't realize it, but that's actually a green marketing campaign to get Texans not to litter on Texas highways. And what's interesting (laughs) is that that campaign was so compelling because what it did was it reached out to swaggering Texas that you don't want to mess up Texas because Texas is the, you know, Texans, they love their state. And so this is really an important value that they were trying to target and capture. And so the don't mess with Texas basically was telling people that, hey, when you throw litter on Texas highways, you're an imposter. You're not a real Texan because a real Texan loves their state. And so that that story was created, uh, don't mess with Texas by using a, a variety of musicians and celebrities and actors. And that created a compelling story that led to people acting to actually reduce their wanting to throw things on Texas highways. And and the statistics are staggering. They're able to reduce litter on Texas highways within the first year by 27%. And then later it was like 20 or 29%. And then it was 72% five years later. It's amazing how important this emotional storytelling 
convinced consumers to not trash Texas highways. And I think this is what's important is having a, an emotional, compelling story that can be associated with the entrepreneur's products and being able to tell that through social media and influencers, through stories on their website, that can be a very compelling way to convince them. Mm, great advice and insight. Ed, thanks so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate your interest in my work. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.